Hello everyone, welcome to the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not-so-distant future of finance. My name is Jelle Pol, founder and director at Dusk Network. In every episode, me and a guest will dive into a specific aspect of the sector. We try to do this in a maximum of 30 minutes because we all have busy lives. In this episode, I'll be discussing policy and more importantly, how we can close the gap between policy makers and the market. And I'll be discussing this with Sebastian van der Lans. Welcome, Sebastian. Hey, Jelle, pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting Great, great. So Sebastian is the founder of Van Ons, WordProof and the Trusted Web Foundation, an advocate of open source software and bringing trust to the World Wide Web in various ways, not in the least via his blockchain businesses. So Sebastian, how did you get here and what drove you? Uh, I consider myself an open source nerd for uh, almost 15 years now. I worked with uh, my, my first Real company was a WordPress agency. We started doing WordPress in 2007. And early on in my career, I learned that WordPress is open source software. Wikipedia is open source software and a community. Mm. Wikipedia is the largest encyclopedia in the world. WordPress empowers uh, over 40% of all the websites in the world. Early on in my career, and, and WordPress isn't built by a company, but by a group of people, tens of thousands of developers. Early on in my career, I learned that open source software and a community of its users and builders are able to create market leaders. And uh, that idea is so powerful. And uh, yeah, I came up with the, I, I, I yeah learned about blockchain technology in 2013, uh, did my first Ethereum prototype in 2014. And by the end of 2018, I thought, okay, Open source technology, blockchain, of course, open source is also open source technology. What if we can make all information on the internet transparent and accountable? If we, the mm -hmm. the um, the technology of blockchain through blockchain technology, open source becomes, we can apply open source solutions and the power of community to everything in life, not only to. Um, uh, information and publishing but also to finance and to doing business as a whole and uh yeah because we worked for publishers already from the agency uh we thought okay what's the best application for blockchain in content and uh, e-commerce and uh, that's where we came up with the idea for word proof with uh yeah yeah, and that's where we are today. We have WordProof, that's a timestamping company. We have the Trusted Web Foundation, educating uh, policymakers, uh, publishers, e-commerce parties, uh, big tech companies on how to bring trust, uh, transparency, and accountability to all information that matters. Yeah, and you already mentioned policymakers briefly, and I want to really dive into that topic. I think you're uniquely suited to talk about uh, the policy makers or, or policy stimulators in the Eurozone, at least. Uh, one of your well-known achievements is winning a 1 million euro uh, first prize for the Blockchain for Social Good initiative led by the European Union. Can you tell us a little bit about how that got on your radar, uh, how you ended up going for it and how you ended up winning it? Yeah, sure. So it was the Blockchains for Social Good competition by the European Commission. Uh, five teams uh, were able to win 1 million uh, euros cash and recognition of winning that prize. Mm. Um, 175 uh, applications uh, submitted their idea yeah. or their prototype or whatever from over 40 countries and we had the highest possible uh, score, 29.5 out of 30 points. 
the team at WordProof is super, super, super diverse. I'm a technologist, uh, open source technologist. Uh, one of my co-founders is uh, a UX guru. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things he said at the beginning is, okay, Sebastian, I want to join the team, but only if UX, user experience, is as important as technology is. Otherwise, I won't join the team. So yeah. I had to make that uh, commitment very early, which was <laughs> quite important. Uh, rare at the moment we founded the company and but the other co-founder is um someone from the policy side a politician mm. and we thought that that's the nice thing that's the great thing on blockchain space that it's not just a technology it's not just about community it's not just about economics it's not just about content it's not just about economy it's about everything it's so holistic it touches everything and um one of the early experiences at, at the agency short story we always had to wish to do a significant open source contribution yeah. and then Europe came with the GDPR regulations. I always start many <laughs> of my keynotes with the question, who likes GDPR? <laughs> and everyone starts to laugh. And uh, the execution of, of, of GDPR was not so sexy. Some say it's terrible. <laughs> but the intention behind GDPR is wonderful. We, Europe, care about a better internet, better data rights, better privacy for our citizens. Yeah. The intention is wonderful. The GDPR came, and what did we see in the sales at the agency? It was 2017 by then. Uh, there was the threat of GDPR was all around the globe, yeah, yeah, but especially yeah. in Europe by then. And everyone had to be compliant. There were, were big fines if you were not. But nobody wanted to pay to be GDPR compliant, to implement those things in their business and in their website. We had the wish to do something significant um, for the open source space. So we thought, okay, everyone needs it. Nobody wants to pay for it. <laughs> Let's build a free plugin for, uh, for GDPR compliance. So we started building that in 2017 and... Um, we launched the first version a few months up before the deadline of GDPR. 1,000 downloads. A few days after, 10,000 downloads. <laughs> As over yeah, today, yeah, yeah. 2 million downloads and almost 2 million downloads and over 200,000 uh, websites are currently using that plugin to implement the basics of GDPR. What did it cost me? 60, 70, 80,000 euros, which we could have easily sold to customers in ours. Yeah. Um, but indirectly, every sales conversation, the question came up with, oh, GDPR, what do you do with it? Oh, yeah, we have yeah, software yeah. running on 200,000 websites. But more importantly, developers. It was super hard by then to find good developers. It still is. Yeah. But having an open source project with traction in your company makes it super uh, attractive, makes your company mm. super attractive for developers. So what we saw was recruitment became so much easier. And instead of paying 10,000 to a recruiter, another 10,000K to a recruiter, another 10,000K yeah, yeah, yeah. to a recruiter, indirectly the, that was the power of open source we uh, tens of millions of people on a monthly basis have better uh, gdpr rights because of that plugin but more importantly yeah or 
it's plus plus plus. It's open source. It's hard to fund it in a way. But uh, this is also yeah. what we discussed before we hit record, right? That it's good to have uh, an ideology or idealism in underpinning many of the things you do in business, but you can also be pragmatic about it. It's great, I think, that you can do something that's great for the sector or great for the wider uh, uh, European Union, but also yeah. be very pragmatic in the sense that, sure, I've invested money into it, but I can see years of kind of indirect benefits accruing uh, off the back of this initiative that also effectively bring me ROI on this effort. Like, uh, the, the, there's nothing noble about, you know, uh, 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 this image of suffering that comes with doing something for the greater good, right? Uh, why yeah. should it only have to be a, a, a loss for it to be good, right? Or uh, why not? Uh, sure, you take the risk. Uh, there's huge nobility in that. But if it pays off for you as the entrepreneur as well as the greater good, then I think that's beautiful. That's how you can get the market to do things for the greater good and not just rely on the state or, you know, you name it. And that's the funny thing with blockchain. It has upsides and downsides. It adds kind of an incentive to communities. We can all grow and therefore the token appreciates or it yeah. brings a new dynamic. Open source was always sort of voluntarily, but with a token around it, there's a financial incentive that has good things and it has bad things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's one of the reasons that there's tribalism between every open source community. As long as, long as I'm part of it, I know that there's tribalism everywhere yeah. in every community, in the content management world, in the e-commerce world, everywhere. Uh, with many blockchain projects, it's tribalism on steroids because there's a financial <laughs> incentive around yeah. it. But on the other way, you do not only rely on uh, voluntary people doing it voluntary because there's yeah. this case it's much easier to pull people in because that's one of the big problems in open source pro uh, projects to pull enough people in to keep it going yeah yeah no you're kind of monetizing uh, purpose and uh, it's uh, it's it's a very strong tool so you mentioned deploy so was that like the basis for what you guys did for the uh, for the european committee contest or how did that mature into uh, uh, into you ultimately winning the uh, the prize. Getting back to the prize, so um, the company was three three months old. We just did a launch of the prototype on the, mm. on the main stage of the largest uh, WordPress conference worldwide. That that was super cool. The project wasn't as UX friendly as it should have been, <laughs> but it it was a launch in uh, June 2019. Then the opportunity of the price came and we thought, okay, we have nothing. We have no business plan. We have uh, nothing <laughs> on paper. We just yeah. have the simple tool. And, and, and I was super proud by uh, Europe organizing this prize because there was a great recognition in the fact that blockchain is not just a finance thing, but a social good thing. Yeah. So we thought, okay, Europe understands blockchain. Otherwise, <laughs> you won't organize a blockchain for social good competition. And Frank and I, Frank is the politician, yeah. he said to, together and we, we thought, okay, we don't have to win this prize, but by participating, it forces us to get the story on paper, to get the ecosystem yeah, yeah. drawn. Exactly. So for us, the motivation to participate was that we created a pressure cooker and write it. Normally what you do with grants or subsidies or whatever 
is working with a party who writes a proposal for you. Mm-hmm. So we did kind of an intake with a party like that. And we thought, okay, no, fuck it. We're going to do this ourselves. Yeah, because <laughs> so, you did it entirely in-house, right? The whole thing. So just for people's yeah. context, like normally, indeed, when you go for a larger call, like uh, anything with some significant potential money, uh, you know, down the line, then you then you get some consultancy firm or some expert firm on board that basically yeah. ghostwrites your thing. You give them input and they help you say the right words that fit the policy brief or avoid the bad words that scare the uh, uh, the jury, uh, that kind of thing, right? You're kind of chaperoned through the process, but you completely did it yourself. Our motivation was to uh, learn from it and to get everything of the story right. So if you want, we can dive a bit in how we did the process. Yeah, I'm very uh, interested in it because I think I, I'm quite opinionated here. I've worked with those parties in the past and they definitely prevent you from accidentally writing complete nonsense or something that completely doesn't resonate with the receiving party. But in many cases, I think it also prevents kind of excellence because they will... Because all of these parties are on the sidelines, kind of pushing everyone towards the same average, the same mean. So you do get okay, but you end up with kind of everyone being okay. So you get a very large field of players that is okay, uh, definitely not bad. And then it turns into a bit of a lottery or whatever. So if you're willing to put in the time, it's quite a brutal learning curve. Then uh, it is a very sticky skill that if you know how to become excellent or maybe even just good, uh, I think it's quite easy to outperform this aggregate of okayness uh, that I think represents like 80 or 90% of submissions. And I think that's exactly what you did. So I'm very, very interested to see how did you yeah, teach yourself this skill? Because it can be quite a black box, uh, these kind of grants or uh, prize calls. I dare to say the opposite. It's ah, they tell good. you exactly what they <laughs> wanted to see. Yeah, what well, the six topics? So there was social good, economic viability. There, right. there was kind of a score form, and all these ah. projects have a score form. That's always the case. Yeah. So what? But what we did was okay. How many time? Of, uh, what's the amount of time that people will spend on this? Maybe 100, 200 hours. Yeah. Let's do 600. Let's let's do 800 <laughs> hours. So we um, and you for went for it talk, hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we went all in because yeah. our goal was to get the story right. So what we did was, uh, Buzz Lightyear would have said in Toy Story, "To the stars <laughs> and beyond." We put so much time in every topic, in every aspect, and there was really no hole possible in the story. It it was so well thought of and of course it fitted the call our Mm. intention is really blockchains for social good but the funny thing was there were there was financial inclusion was a category there was um logistics was a category there were also there were five uh, categories on the on the contest but there was no um category we fitted in Yeah, yeah, yeah so they created a new category for for us called quality content which i think is Mm. not a good title but we don't mind good enough uh, yeah sure <laughs> with, um so but that was the thing we did um to the stars and beyond on every part of the proposal and that paid off nice okay that makes a lot of sense. but it also vouches a little bit for the quality of the at least the, the the eurozone or the european committee calls being put out there that what it says on the tin is actually what they expect you to hand in because i've also yeah. been part of national or maybe even local uh, 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 t- uh, tracks uh, with Dusk or previously where 
you will get a description on the tin that is vastly politicized, basically, <laughs> but it's yeah. completely different from what they actually want to see, right? But typically, I think the level is quite quite high, but that's a European thing. That's not a national thing. Uh, Europe deeply cares about a level playing field between small players and big players, between citizens and companies, between... Um, and. So there's a score form and we need to work as a company with the score form, mm -hmm. but the jury needs to work with the same score form. Yeah. So usually, and especially we as Dutch, we're kind of stubborn people in general. <laughs> uh, we think, okay, yeah, but maybe it's better if we tell it like this. And uh, Frank brought the experience to, he said, you know, no, we need to stick to the form. We can be creative within the form <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. so for example how do you structure a document use the names uh, they use in the form yeah it's as simple as that and uh, we wrote a blog post about it uh, together so i'll share that with you so we can put it in yeah the show yeah notes. great um but yeah it, there must be a level playing field and yeah by sticking to sticking to the questions asked that helped and for example we needed we needed to do a proposal 30 pages we needed to do a pitch three minutes uh and there was a hearing of 20 minutes with uh, yeah. eight judges i guess how did um, that go i'm very interested in that last part did they get it we were totally toasted as everyone was <laughs> <laughs> frank and i left the room um we're dead we last actually <laughs> we were we were in a fight actually <laughs> i we we walked out of the room and i said to frank we got it we won i told you we won i tell you we won yeah, why yeah. because in the questions there was the assumption that we won already when will it be available on this oh, yeah, 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 yeah. questions like that frank said uh, frank said no we totally fucked up uh, we had no answers. We had nothing. And right. The the hard thing was, they we we learned about uh, having to do that hearing two days before the hearing was. <laughs> so it was a last minute thing. Oh, and and there's a hearing. Oh, yeah. By and the way, was, guys, there's a hearing. Yeah. So we thought, okay, let's go in and we will see what happens. But everyone was toasted there, and the good thing was, they really get it. Nice. They asked the right questions and they hired 30 people from across Europe, which were the judge, the, the jury, mm -hmm. and we didn't know who they were up yeah, front. Great. Uh, which, once again, results in a level playing field. And, uh, but they asked the right questions on the GDPR thing, on the uh, platforms, on the standardization. So, uh, yeah, I was quite surprised by uh, the questions asked. Very good. And and you mentioned already this took like six, eight hundred hours maybe. So yeah. have you applied for other things since? Because it's quite a significant time spent. The good thing of writing, deeply, deeply diving in writing a proposal mm -hmm. is that you have kind of a boilerplate for following proposals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's I, I won't say an open source uh, thing, but it's it's building blocks for your next proposals. We didn't participate for the million. Of course, the million was nice, but deeply understanding the policy making and the role that Europe has in the world and the role that blockchain can play for that that that's the driver here. And it makes sense to have Europe on board. Europe with with its GDPR. It was not beautiful, the execution, but the intention is there to make a trustworthy and a better internet for its citizens, to set the standard for everyone in the world. And 
a trusted web, building that through TimeSense, what blockchain was invented for 30 years and three months ago, yeah, yeah. Um, does exactly that. And it makes sense that a solution like that comes from Europe. We understand GDPR. We understand a level playing field between citizens and governments, citizens and companies. So, um, yeah, we are proud Europeans and uh, we want to intensify the relationship with Europe as deep as possible. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like we, we already talked a little bit about open source software, right? And and if you really want to do something for the the greater good, then it's quite important that 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 the incentives or that the vested interests behind uh, a public technology are not uh, colored or biased by a single VC investor, right? Or 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 a party behind the the curtains that is pushing or pulling things in a certain direction. So if you want. Uh, 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 solutions that are pure and really serve the public good and it also makes a lot of sense that at least a part of the bill is picked up by uh, the public right via committees or commissions or calls or grants like these because it allows the entrepreneurs or the people leading these initiatives to to stick to the value right to keep things pure and 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 to ensure that the value truly ends up with the users and it's not some kind of weird Trojan horse backdoor thingy where we talk a nice uh, uh, public good talk, but actually we're walking a very different walk, right? And there's a totally different aspect as well because that's the financial component. Yeah. But for example, what we aim for is an internet where information that matters is transparent. How did it change over time? And accountable. Uh, who's yeah. the sender of that information? There's all sorts of issues on the internet with its trustworthiness. Fake news travels way too far. And yep. how we envision the internet is an internet where you need to take accountability for information to travel far in, in algorithms. Yeah. Because all information is discovered, most information is, is, is discovered via search engines, via social media. And what we aim for is an internet where information that's um, that if there's no no one taking accountability for information, it should be able to publish it on the internet. Otherwise, there's no freedom of speech. But information without an identity tied to it, an yeah. identity could be of a company, of a person, if that shouldn't be able to go viral because that's one of the biggest problems in misinformation and disinformation. Information that's not accountable, that goes viral. So what you do in that way is making sure that there's always freedom of speech, but not necessarily freedom of reach, which is a leapfrog in the right direction for fighting misinformation on the internet. But that, for social media, is kind of, you could say, it hurts their business model. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because there, it, it's great if... Uh, you are uh, completely unaccountable for spreading all kinds of uh, rumors, clickbait, whatever gets the wheels turning, uh, and yeah. you can uh, stick your head into the sand uh, every time uh, someone comes to collect, right? So the the goal of someone using a social media platform and the goal of the shareholders of the social media platforms, <laughs> they are not aligned. No. And that's where a policymaker comes in. A policymaker can enforce higher standards but the problem is policymakers aren't aware of how to do that and what yeah. we aim to provide is bringing an infrastructure that can be enforced but the good thing is it's not only hurting social media it's not only hurting search uh, there are a lot of problems there where, where timestamps are a solution and it improves those services as well but the policymaker especially 
in Europe, we have more trust in policymakers than in the U.S. Uh, that's what we learned from our research at Trusted Web uh, yeah. at the Foundation. So there is there is a role for policymakers beyond money, but also, for example, GDPR. Which company loved GDPR? No one. Did it improve <laughs> the internet at least a bit? Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's still in its infancy, right? The whole issue with GDPR is that the implementation and enforcement were. Uh, a little bit lacking, uh, and there's a, a kind of new wave of uh, of, a, of 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 attention coming towards that. That enforcement is well vastly understaffed, basically, right? And if we want to yeah. really realize these benefits, then we uh, need to give it also the importance that it uh, demands, which also means manpower, funding, these kind of things. We cannot just, like I say, talk the talk, and you know, GDPR is probably. Probably one as the poorest funding to public discussion ratio in the last decade. I, Everyone uh, has been talking about it, and they got like pennies on the dollar to make it happen, right? So let, but, let's and, equalize that. And that's because there's no uh, there's no incentive. The incentive is yeah. you don't get the fine, and <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. what it's, we yeah, bring yeah, yeah. with timestamps. Is by involving big tech, what we how we educate search engines is. The more transparency, the higher you rank. The more accountability, the higher you rank. Yeah. So there's not only being compliant by timestamping, there's not only being transparent and answering the demand for transparency by the consumer, but there's also the reward in a higher rank. No, exactly. Like markets will move when there's... Uh... Uh, uh, also competitive advantage in these solutions, right? And not just a simple hygiene factor of uh, we might avoid a fine because that will just cause them to, I don't know, keep looking out for some of the giants in their sector. And if they aren't getting fined yet, then I'll be fine as a small business. And if they are not fined in five years' time, then why should I make any moves towards implementation, right? But especially yeah. for the SMEs, if there's suddenly an edge to be, to be, to be gained uh, and you're able to move fast, and a giant will take its time, then it's a great tool to uh, uh, start hurting some incumbents, right? So it's such an interesting market mechanism to get policy right in a way that it also resonates with the market, right? And I think, uh, I think you've got it spot on. Thanks, man. So maybe to move towards a bit of a recap, we're already uh, crawling towards those 30 minutes. So we've talked about uh, the Eurozone, why you think it's such a great kind of hotbed for uh, for level playing field and the various policies that uh, uh, that are able to come out of it. Any final thoughts there, uh, either blockchain specific or uh, what do you think uh, the next few years are going to look like? Oh, uh, yeah, in a few years from now, if you don't timestamp your articles, you'd be considered a fraud. What are you <laughs> hiding? And that's where we are moving towards. So um, that will play out by a collaboration between search engines, social media, policymakers, but also the consumer demanding it. It's super interesting to see what will happen in terms of adoption of blockchain as a whole in the coming years. Um, I hope to see in the... Horizon Europe program that lots, lots, lots of blockchain companies will be funded. Mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, fingers crossed for that. We don't know <laughs> what will happen there. Um, but that's my final thought. I, I, I hope that Europe truly embraces blockchain. It's, it's the new internet. It's the new way of thinking. And um, it's initiatives like yours, like ours. Like There are so many great blockchain initiatives in Europe. So uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see them flourish. Not only because <laughs> of European funding, but yeah, blockchain and Europe 
Europe is decentralized by nature. In Europe, small <laughs> matters again. Europe gives a level playing field. Yeah. yeah, blockchain technology gives us great tools to empower that. Timestamping is a super easy way for companies to start uh, working with blockchain. It's accessible. Mm -hmm. There's no risk. There's uh, potentially higher rewards with search engines, copyright, with everything. So let's put Europe on the map. Uh, that's a close <laughs> fun. Great, great, great summary. Well, thank you so much. Uh, today I had the pleasure to talk to Sebastian van der Lans, founder of WordProof and the Trusted Web Foundation. My name is Jelle Paul, and this was the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not-so-distant future of finance. Thanks for listening. <laughs>